Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. And so we've been talking about a lasting legacy and Nehemiah is one who his life, his ministry, his investment He left a legacy, and we've seen leadership lessons throughout our study in uh, these 13 chapters of Nehemiah. We've come down to seeing the qualities of good leadership, the impact of good leadership, the negative impact of bad leadership like Eliashib, and, and how he compromised the work of God in such a way. The importance of godly leadership and healthy relationships within the body of Christ, it cannot be overstated. I cannot state it more emphatically than it should be. My spiritual fervency will either be helped or it will be hindered by the people that I follow, by the people I surround myself with, by the influences that I listen to. I will either be encouraged or I will be discouraged. And the same is true for you. Psalm 141 and verse four says, do not let my heart incline to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity and let me not eat of their delicacies. The psalmist is saying there's always a danger when I am outside of the community of faith, there's a danger that I will become more like them than them becoming like Jesus that I worship and follow. If I am immersed in a culture without bringing the light of the gospel into that culture, then my witness will be greatly suppressed and diminished. And then that leads to me being spiritually frustrated and stagnant. Because I know I'm not, you know, this little light of mine we learned in in preschool, I'm going to let it shine, hide it under a bushel, and we learn, no! But what happens to us when we're, well, I have to pay my bills. This is my job. What could, I can't say too much. I can't, you know, we easily fall back into as if we were never taught that. So I need you. And we need each other as we follow the Lord Jesus as his disciples. This is the community. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And Paul would write to the Philippians from prison. He would say in verse 15 of chapter 2 that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. 2,000 years ago he was writing. But what was his expectation for believers in the first century? Shine as lights in the world. What is the expectation that the Lord would have of us wherever you go through the week, today, this afternoon? Shine as lights. Shine as lights in the world. So here we come to the final chapter that was written of the Old Testament. Chronologically, the last, the last lines of the Old Testament is in Nehemiah 13. It's going to go into 400 years of silence, 400 years of darkness, Nehemiah, what's going to survive of his legacy? When he comes back from his visit, he went back to Persia. He came back. Maybe he was gone five, ten years. We don't know. We're not told. 
But when he comes back, he finds out the people have desecrated the priesthood and the temple. They defaulted on their giving to the work of God. They defiled the Sabbath. They, they disobeyed God's commands for marriage. That's what we're going to look at today. And he is incensed. He is angry. He is fervent. He's a leader. He sees a problem. He deals with it. He sees another problem. He deals with it. There's another problem. And they're all having to do with people. And in love, he deals with each of these problems. And then the lights are going to go out. So I'm going to ask us all this question again. What will we be remembered for? What will you be remembered for? Living, working, dying. Living for Christ. That's what will... That's what will last for all eternity. So in each of these things, it was amazing. Yesterday at the service, a couple of guys were here that were tool dealers. And they look over and there's Matt that they used to sell tools to. And these guys know Christ. They follow Christ. And they came back from somewhere, wherever they live around, and here they see a worshiper of Jesus that used to be just a, 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 a tool junkie in, in, a, in a shop somewhere. And I told one of them leaving, one of Frank's family, I said, hey, don't you give up on all those knuckleheads out there because you never know. You never know. And God is always chasing down people who are sinners and he'll make them saints. He'll make them sons. Embracing five leadership lessons. Number one, we looked at in the first part of this chapter, live in consecration to God. Don't give to man what God alone deserves. And number two, we saw support the work of God. Do not withhold from God that which he has required. And then we saw thirdly, the third lesson, honor the Lord's day. We looked at this last Sunday. Do not forget the Lord on the day set aside. We need it. We need to worship. We need to remember. And you need it. And I need it. We need to rest. We need to rest. And the lie is, you got to get there. You got to go there. You have to be there. You have to schedule. You have to, we just can't, you know, we're just so busy. It's a lie and it's not from heaven. So you figure out where it comes from that says, fill your schedule, fill your schedule, just be busy and forget about what's most important. Today we see our fourth lesson and that's obey the scriptures. Obey the scriptures. Do not disregard the word of the Lord and as you read through the Bible, Old Testament and New, you will see generation by generation people who hear the word of the Lord and they dismiss it. They hear the word of the Lord and they disregard it. They disobey it. Jeremiah's case, he comes and he gives the word of the Lord to the king and the king says, give me a copy of that scroll. He was in the winter palace, fires in front of him and he just takes and he begins to take a razor and cut the word of the Lord and throws it in the fire. That's what I think about the word. And the Lord says, I'll have that for you again, Jeremiah. That king can't touch my word. And now he'll be recorded in this word. This is the word of the Lord. Do not disregard the word of the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 13, let's pick up in verse 23. We'll read down to the end. So here he gives another qualification in those days. Okay, so he keeps finding more. You know, if you, if you ever purchase a house and you're like, it looks great. And then you get inside and you're like, what's that dark spot up there? And you begin to pull, oh no. And then over here, oh no. And then down here, oh, I didn't see that. 
It, that's what he's doing. He keeps finding more rot and more mold and more mildew. And it's in people and in their lives in those days. Also, I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations was there no king, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made him, even him, to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son, uh, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. Get out of here. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus, I cleanse them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at the appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. This is the word of the Lord. So let's unpack this together. First of all, if we're going to learn from Nehemiah, if we are going to obey the scriptures, then we need to learn to love what God loves. And the negative of that is we need to hate what God hates. We must love what God loves, and we must hate what God hates. We must be able to actually call sin, sin. You know, we don't, we don't call adultery an affair. It's sin against God. It's adultery. So we have to be able to name it. We have to be able to say what it is. If, if you're dealing with a disease and you are going to a doctor, you want them to not skirt all around. You want them to tenderly but truthfully address my problem. Help me. Deal with what's wrong in me. How can it be made right? Once we understand what God calls sin, then we must confront and confess sin in our own lives. That's where it begins. It's the only way to cleansing. We need to pay attention to subtle sins, sins of compromise, because compromise leads to idolatry, leads to unbelief, leads to judgment, and ultimately leads to death. So here we see Nehemiah. He boldly, even violently, confronted the sin of mixed marriages. In Israel. It was the joining together of God's people with spouses who were not God's people, not worshipers of Yahweh. They were worshipers of idols. That's the big deal here. Most of the marriages in this culture were arranged marriages. It wasn't a young person finds another young person and they fall in love and they marry. It was a family uh, makes an arrangement with another family. You have a son, I have a daughter. We're going to work this out. We're going to come to terms. Here it is. And we're giving our daughter to your son. And it's a giving over into everything you believe. 
If the son is taking a, a wife into that family, then she would be bringing all of her gods with her into that family, just as it was in the case of Solomon. And the people, think about it. They gave their children into marriages with women from the people of Ashdod. Anybody remember where Ashdod is? That's the Philistines. Did they not know their history? How? This is a people that hated them. They worshiped Dagon. And you remember when, when Israel was in battle with the Philistines and they, they said, we are, we are not doing well. I know what we need. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant. Let's bring our God with us into the battle. They bring the Ark of the Covenant and they're cheering. And a Philistine general stands up before his people and says, you hear them cheering over there? Not today are we going down. You need to quit yourselves like men. You need to act like men, Philistines. We're going to battle and we're going to defeat them and their God. And they went out and they did. And they stole the Ark of the Covenant. And Israel went back, the smattering of people that went back with their tail tucked between their legs saying, how is our God defeated? As if God was fitting in the Ark of the Covenant box. They were so confused, like we are sometimes. And Israel, there goes their Ark of the Covenant with the Philistines. The Philistines, we have their God. And they took the Ark of the Covenant and they put it into the Temple of Dagon. And the next morning, they came into the temple, and what do they behold? But all of their gods, stone idols, were face down worshiping at the Ark of the Covenant. And they're like, well, this is odd. This isn't how we left it. And they began to set them all back up and set them by. And then the next day, they came in, hands all back down, hands broken off, heads broken off. Yeah, it's kind of hard to set the torso back up here. doesn't look the same as it did two days ago something different, and then boils, and then disease begin to break out, and the Philistines are like, somebody else take the Ark of the Covenant, somebody else, and then they end up putting it on the, on the cart and saying, okay, let's put it on a cart, let's put babies pulling the cart, and their mom's over here, and uh, the oxen, and if they hear, you know, if, the, if this is just something we're confused on, then the, these little, you know, the, the oxen, they'll come back to their moms, but if this is of the Lord, these baby ox, they're just going to go on to Israel. So they point in the right direction and they let them go and they went right up over the hill and there's the Israelites beholding, here's the Ark of the Covenant rolling back in on a cart and here's these, you know, little, here they come and like, where's this? And then the Philistines realize their God is not like our God. Fast forward generations and here we are. Hey, you want to come to terms? You want to make deal? You got a daughter? I've got a son. I've got a Hey, let's make some marriages here. You know, you worship, you have faith, I have faith. It's all the same thing. I'll be worship God. They're not distinguishing. They were, they were giving their children in marriage to Ammon, the people of Ammon. Well, what did they do in Ammon? Who did they worship in Ammon? Molech. What did they do in reverence and homage to Molech? Child sacrifice. A god, stone god, with hands, they found in archaeology. And you set your baby on the fire before that god. And the Israelites are saying, you guys worship, we worship. That's not our god. He does not delight in death. He does not require human sacrifice. And like, no big deal. They were joining their children in 
marriage to Moab. They, work, they worship Chemosh. Shocker. Same thing. Idolatry always usurps and takes the lives of children, the vulnerable, the ones that you should be standing up and defending. Instead, that life might get in your way of living your best life, as so you think. So Nehemiah confronted them. Now you understand what's behind his passion. You are taking the God who created everyone and everything who loved you, and you're making him out to be like these demonic representations. And we just got back from exile. What are you doing? The instructions from God through Moses were very clear. Exodus 34, verse 12, Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after other gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice. And you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. That's unfaithfulness. It's very graphic. Deuteronomy 7, verse 3, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and you, he would destroy you quickly, but thus you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. This is your identity. The Lord your God, this is your history, this is your calling, has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And, and here's where Israel would often think, he chose us. Okay, this is where, if understanding rightly the doctrine of election, God chose me. You don't understand the doctrine of election. It sounds like this, oh, he chose me. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? I've committed treason again, and he called me. He called me, and he'll call you. He'll save you. Listen to what it says here. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You have been loved by God. And your God reigns over all peoples. So Ezra confronted them 30 years before Nehemiah here. He preached. He pulled out his own hair. He was mourning. He wept. He was so moved, he pulled out his, Nehemiah's like, well, we tried this one before. I'm not pulling out my hair. I'm pulling out, you know, these leaders. I'm, I'm going after them. Most likely, we're talking beards. 
And there was a cutting and, 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 a, and a shaming upon them because the beard and the long beards and, you know, established leaders. And he just went at them pulling out, which they did to Jesus. The reestablished covenant that was just about five or ten years ago when Nehemiah was there, Nehemiah 10.30, this is what these people said. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Red line, Nehemiah, we won't cross it. And he comes back. And where are they? They're living on the other side of the red line. No big deal. What difference does it make? Here we are again. This is dishonoring the Lord. How are we tempted to be confused about God's design for marriage? So we can look at this and say, these people, why are they so stubborn-headed? Why are they so stiff-necked? Can I see that about the guy that I see every day in the mirror? Do I see that in my own heart? That I know the word of God, but I disregard it? I don't pay the attention to it that I should? How are we tempted to be confused in this way? God created man on the sixth day. The Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. Do you realize marriage is a gift to all peoples? One man, one woman for life. It's a sacred union. In Genesis chapter 1, this is where uh, when Jesus was asked the question in Matthew 19 about divorce, he just went all the way back to create the created order. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Here's how we're designed, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. That is God's design for marriage. That is God's design for the home. So when Malachi came, so I've been explaining that in Nehemiah 12, and then there's a pause, and Nehemiah went back to Persia, and he's gone about five, 10 years, and then the ministry of Malachi happened in that period. Listen to what Malachi said that they didn't listen to in Malachi 2, verse 13. He said, and this is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altars altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because, here's the answer, the Lord has a, was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did not he make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the, and what was the one God seeking? What is God's design for marriage, family, the home? Godly offspring. Not just offspring. Godly offspring. So, guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So, Guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. 
Israel was, they're back in disobedience. The, the marriage, their homes, their families were all confused and upside down. Their worship was upside down. Everything was going sideways again after Nehemiah had done all of that work, rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the gates. The temple had been rededicated. We're on the right track. I'll be back. Five years comes back. Are you kidding me? What is God going to do to us now? Paul knew. He knew the danger of entering into a mixed-faith marriage. You say, well, that's Old Testament, but there's a principle there, okay? And we've talked about in the Old Testament, you say, but what about Ruth? Ruth was a Moabitess. She was from Moab, and she was brought all the way into the Messianic line. So what happened there? Do you remember what she said to her mother-in-law? She didn't say, I'm going with you back to Israel, back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, and I'm bringing all of my family gods with me. She said, your people, my people. Your God, my God. Grace, grace rescued that woman and brought her out of idolatry and paganism because of the God who called her and all the way into the record of Jesus Messiah. That's how good God is. He's gracious, but it isn't a bringing of everything. I'll just bring it all and add it, and we'll mix it all together in marriage. I'm sure it will work out. No, it won't. Not well. It has to be dealt with. It has to be addressed. So Paul says, 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. And there in that context, he's talking about how are you gonna mix worship of God and, and idolatry? It doesn't go together. Specifically, we're talking about marriage here, but this also has to do with our relationships, our influence, the places where we spend our time that shape our thinking. So secondly, let's learn from past examples. If we're going to love what God loves, if we're going to hate what God hates, then let's learn from past examples. And here, Nehemiah, he reminds the people of God about the failures of Solomon. And who was Solomon? The wisest man that ever lived. Now, he didn't have the name wise, you know. That's a, I often tell people that's a, that's a really tough name to live up to. You know? Oh, you're the wise one. Eh. <laughs> Don't ask my wife all the time, you know. Yeah, sometimes. But Solomon was the guy. And how did he fare when he in his own... I knew that fly was coming after me. He's all day yesterday. He was hovering. I'll be back. Solomon with all of his wisdom. Oh, you know, it's just this one... This one partnership, this one arranged marriage, this one alliance with this other nation. No big deal. And another one. And another one and another one, one after another. I'm thankful that the Bible includes examples of successes and failures, and they're all for our good. Solomon's heart was given over to women. This was his doing, okay? Nehemiah is not blaming the women. Solomon was just there, and he was just loving the Lord and doing great, and these women came along, you know. That's not what Nehemiah is saying. It's Solomon's issue. In the garden, it was Adam's issue. When God showed up, Genesis 3, Adam, where are you? Husband, where are you? Men, where are you leading? That's throughout Scripture. Leading like Christ. Loving, serving, sacrificial. God, make us men like this. 
Solomon, his name Jedidiah, the one whom the Lord loves, loved by God, and he went off the rails repeatedly? And Nehemiah saying, you think we should listen? I'm going to listen to you, yahoos? None of you have a book in the Bible, and Solomon does, and look what happened to that guy. Have you not read his book? How there's emptiness and vanity and searching and trying to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in your job, in fame, in pleasure, in sex, in marriage, in women, in going places. It never satisfies. Can't you learn that from Solomon? Let's learn from him. This is why he's so frustrated. He's filled with passion, but it's not for his own dominance over people. It's because he loves God and he loves these people and he wants his influence to make a difference for the time that will come after him and he won't be here on planet Earth. His legacy to live on. What about us? Do we learn from these examples in Scripture? Do we learn from those who have lived and gone before us? Or do we have to make all the same dumb mistakes ourselves? You know, I just, I mean, I know, but I just got to be my own guy, pastor. Okay. Ask Solomon how that worked out. Ask anybody how that works out. You ever stop and think about that? Young people, why people who are social media influencers are still some of the most miserable and empty and they still have all kinds of issues because it doesn't satisfy why the people who have the most still don't get along and enjoy each other? It, it doesn't satisfy. Only, only God satisfies. And you've probably met, like I've met people who have virtually not much at all in this life, and they have Christ, and they're filled with un, inexpressible joy. And they're generous, and they're kind. They know God. What, what else matters? And they bring that light and witness wherever they go. Paul says in Romans 15, verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have, what do we desperately need? Hope. Do the people in your family need hope? Do you need hope? Do the people in our community need hope? Those who are struggling, you know, these fentanyl deaths right now from a kid taking just one pill, mislabeled, somebody hands it to them. What are, what are, we, what are we searching for? Acceptance. I don't want to be different. I don't want to stand out. I don't want anybody to laugh at me. Everybody was doing it. And, and you could just carry that out in so many different ways. I didn't want to be different. I didn't want to stand out. But if you know God, you are, you are radically different. Why would you be ashamed of who your Father in heaven is? Why would I be ashamed of this? Why would I hide this? So we need to let go of then of bad influences. Love what God loves. Learn from past examples and let go of bad influences. Nehemiah went a step further and he purged the priesthood of a compromised leader and this was Eliashib's grandson. I chased him from me. What does that look like? 
I mean, how did that, how did that go down? Like, who are you? Oh, my, my granddaddy is Eliashib. I'm the next in, you know, I'm in line here. Uh-huh. Who's your wife? You understand, they were not even speaking the Hebrew language. The reality is if they lose the Hebrew language, they lose that connection of understanding what our God has said, and he's the only God, and he is, his plan is to bless all peoples through us. We have to know him. We have to know his word. We have to be able to read his word. We have to, this, is, this is our culture, and if it's diluted and diminished and we don't even know what our God has said, how are we going to know this God? That's why Christianity goes everywhere and why we're partnering with the barons to go a place that doesn't have language and give them a language so we can put the scripture in their language so that you can know the God that made you and created you and loved you and came and died for you. That's why language matters. That's why hospitals matter. Schools matter. Hospitals. That's what Christianity does wherever it goes because people need to know this God and you need to live long enough for me to tell you about this God. So we care about life. We promote life. Well, here's this guy. What's he doing? He's a leader in the work of God, in the house of God. The priests were called out by God to serve him in a unique way, in a sanctified way. Character matters when it comes to leadership. Integrity, it matters. The priests were to lead the way by being pure. Then the people could follow them. But here, you got a leader, and he's compromised. He's sleeping with the enemy. He's married to the enemy. And the enemy has no disguise over their plan. We're going to take you down, and we're going to take down your God. Well, that's not going to work. And it's not going to happen, but you're letting it happen in your home. So Nehemiah dealt with him. He was teaching, it's okay to compromise. Eliashib's grandson, he was teaching them, it's okay, put your needs, put your desires, put your pleasures before God. He was training the people to belittle the word of God, to, you know, think less of the house of God. Don't worry about the people of God. But here it is, the reality is we reap what we sow. And Nehemiah takes him to task. They knew this, Leviticus 21, verse 13. This is the the instructions for priests. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman, or a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute. These he shall not marry, but he shall take as his wife a virgin of his own people, that he may not profane his offspring among his people. Why? For I am the Lord who sanctifies him. Your mind. And there's got to be this relationship of separation. So for the priests in Israel, they were to lead and there was to be purity. And you look all the way down to the, to the line of Christ and you have even uh, in, in the priestly line for John the Baptist, you, you see the record. Both Zechariah and Elizabeth, they have their genealogy. It's all tracked down and it matters. Here's this guy, he's like, Whatever. It was convenient. It worked out. We needed it. It was a business partnership. Loved ones, we are responsible for what we hear, and we're also responsible for how we hear. What we hear and how we hear. The New Testament stresses the importance of following Christ-like leaders. So we have to think about how, how might we be prone to hang on to voices of influence, whether it's spiritual or even secular, And those voices are not promoting promoting in our lives righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, purity. 
but yet we're lending our, our ears to that which influences us, but not for righteousness. We tend to bend over backwards to justify that which should not be justified. Sometimes so we can keep the peace. Sometimes, well, I don't want to lose this relationship, so I'm just going to hold back. I don't want to offend anybody. Loved ones, the gospel is offensive. No, we do not want to be offensive. I can be offensive. I'm a shocker, you know. I can be offensive. This just in. But the gospel is offensive. The gospel is either drawing you in or it's pushing you away. It's a message that you can't save yourself. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. But if you'll admit, I'm not good enough and I need a savior, now that is an individual that the Lord will save. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. He'll save you. It's all in Christ. We're always to be loving. Paul wrote, Ephesians 4.15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Now, there it is. Speak the truth, but be loving. And you can't have one without the other. Well, I just speak the truth. I just tell my mind. No, that's not loving. Well, I just love them so much, I'm not going to tell them the truth. Both are wrong. Both are two ditches on the opposite side. Speak the truth in love. God, help us to speak the truth in love. And if someone belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, then they will, they will love Jesus. They'll listen for his voice. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And you know what they do? I look behind, and there they are. They're following me. They follow me. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God. You know what God loves? That we keep his commandments. And, and John is just simply saying, you know what? Now that I, I know Christ and I've been loved by God, his commandments are not burdensome. Oh, I've got to do what? No, I delight in obeying the Lord. And surrender all the rewards in the record keeping. Just surrender it over to the Lord. That's what Nehemiah does. Remember them. Oh my God, remember them. Remember them. You judge them. This is what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, verse 24. When you're thinking about other people and other leaders and even people in churches and, and sometimes, you know, there's hypocrites and there's failures and people who were once influential and wrote books and had TV programs and they, they were evangelists or preachers and suddenly you find out yeah, they weren't all they were cracked up to be. Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 24, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them the judgment. It's obvious, you see it. But the sins of others appear later. They're not going to get by on this. But listen, Timothy, so also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. This scripture, these two verses have been so helpful to me in ministry. You know, well, Lord, look at that friend from college and look at that church and look how that's going and look at this and look at that. And why, why is this one struggling over here? And what happened here? Hey, fulfill your ministry. Let the Lord be the one that keeps the records. Let the Lord be the one who rewards and he will in time. And lastly, 
If we listen to this lesson, if we get it from Nehemiah to obey the scriptures, then we will, loved ones, live in purity and serve the Lord. And I love this, and we're just going to touch on this, and we'll come back to it next week and just kind of fold this all in of Nehemiah's his, his ability to resign himself and his legacy into the hands of the Lord. But the failures of other leaders, the failures of the people, now think about this. They didn't discourage or sidetrack Nehemiah. He didn't say, you know, I'm going to run this guy out and I'm going to pull these beards out. And you know what? Forget it all. I'm going back to Persia, you losers. I have a palace to run in Persia. I don't have to be here. And I've tried, and I, I, me, me, I always, ah, da, da, on and on, and I quit. He didn't do that. This man is a man of character. He cleaned house, even when he had to run the guy out. Get out of here. I mean, get out of here. Like, what did he do? He ran him out. Get away from me. He returned order to the house of God again done it before. Nehemiah maintained a generous heart. He gives to the work of the Lord again. Do you know how many people, well, you know, and this is, this is just true across churches, okay? Well, the church did this other thing, and I didn't think that they should do the thing, so I'm not giving there anymore. Show me this need, and if I really think that need, then I'll give to that need, but, you know, paying for the electricity and, eh, Nehemiah, after dealing with all of this, he goes right back to putting his money where his mouth is, his worship. Uh, verse 30, thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I, I established the duties of the priests and Levites in e each in his work, and this is his character coming through, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. He's still generous. He's still giving to the work of the Lord. He doesn't care what other people do when it comes to his worship, when it comes to his ministry, when it comes to his offerings. He's independent of everybody else because he's not giving to them. He's giving to God. And nobody's going to shut down his giving to God. And this is where we live in the blessing of God, which is sometimes blessing and sometimes it's sparse. That happens for righteous and the unrighteous. We all go through the stock market together. We go through times of good and bad. It's all together. So this isn't he gives and then the Lord owes him. He owes the Lord, loves the Lord, and he just simply gives generously to the Lord. And then he just said, all right, Lord, I surrender everything to you. The whole outcome of my life, the whole outcome of my giving, I just give it to you. And you do with it what you will. Remember me oh my God, for good. Just remember me. Don't forget me. Is it okay to pray that to God? Have you, have you forgot about me? Don't forget about me. Remember me. Remember me. Oh, loved ones, may we obey the scriptures. And if we hear the words of a beloved scripture in our church. This is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, after the marvelous chapter on the resurrection. There's life beyond the grave. We sang it last week. I ran out of the grave. Therefore, 
my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't we see this in Nehemiah? Knowing what, Nehemiah? That in the Lord your labor is not in vain, never in vain. It's never wasted. All the other things that we chase after, if those aren't opportunities for us to see people come to faith in Christ, they don't last for eternity. We have to evaluate, we have to think through that. So these are a couple questions. How do I let these other relationships, these other influences, these close associations with non-believers, am I influencing them or are they influencing me? Is it opening doors for me sharing the gospel where, where you might work? Where your kids are involved in sports? Is that opening doors for sharing the gospel? for things that you have in common with people in your community? Is that opening doors for sharing the gospel or are you feeling the other side of that where you're becoming more like them? Whatever it is that you do, if you're on a golf league, if you're on, are, are you, you, is God using you in those opportunities to influence others to come to know Christ or are you becoming more like them? That's how we have to think through this. So what is then our next step? What's our next step? To renew our commitment to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Then let's resolve to say, God, again here today, remember me. Here I am. I'll surrender my life again to you today. Use me for your glory and the good of all peoples. And that is a church that will change a world. That is the church that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against that church. It's worth everything. You know what? More than, more than I want my kids to love their family, I want them to love the church. And I'm not just saying that. I want them to love the church more than they love their blood and water physical family because Jesus died for the church. That is what lasts. And in the church, guess what God gives to us? Family that we will be with for all eternity. So it's nothing wasted. Oh, may God give us that passion, that love, and we learn these lessons from this man of God who was no man of God, just a governor with a God-sized vision of what should happen in the work of God and in the place, this holy city called Jerusalem, to prepare a way for Jesus who came, lived, died, was buried and rose again and is coming again. Amen. Let's live in light of that, amen? Let's stand together. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your spirit that lives in every believer. Thank you for your spirit that calls those who have not yet come to faith in Christ, even today through this message, through what the kids share today. All of these aspects, what we've sung that if someone is here and they say, I don't know that I have eternal life, that today could be the day of their salvation. Father, do that work, we pray. Save those who are without Christ and strengthen, establish, encourage all who know you and belong to you so that we might be your hands and feet and represent you well wherever we go. For the honor and glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. 
We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.